but we are right now still leading up to the crucifixion. In fact, last week, you might remember, we left Jesus and the apostles in the upper room. They were there to celebrate the Passover meal. Unfortunately, that was not the celebration that they expected. Instead of being the precursor to the coronation of a king, it became a Last Supper, a time where Jesus told them, I was going to be crucified. He would shed his blood. He would give his body. He would be betrayed. He would be denied. And he would leave them. And so he spent chapter 14 of his first part of his farewell discourse last week. We looked at Jesus reaching out and comforting those disciples who were confused, hurt, did not understand what was happening. He told them, don't worry. I'm not, I'm not going to leave you forever. I'm going to come back. And I'm going to take you and you're going to be with me. It's a great place. The Lord, the Father is there. In the meantime, you're going to do greater things even than what I've ever done here. The impact of your ministry will be and exceed what I have done. And it's going to be with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he closes in chapter 14, verses 30 and 31 with these words. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. The prince of this world is Satan. And Satan comes in many different ways, many different faces, but he would be coming soon in the form of Judas Iscariot. In fact, the scriptures tells us that Jesus said Satan had entered Judas. Goes on, he, the prince of this world, has no hold over me, but he loves, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. He's saying it's not Satan that's calling the shots, it's God who's calling the shots here. And what I do is for his glory and to show his love for me. And then he says this Come now, let us leave. In other words, let's get out of here. <laughs> let's get out of here. And so they headed down the stairs out into the windy streets of Jerusalem led by Jesus. We know from all the gospels that they were on their way to the Mount of Olives, to a garden where Jesus would pray and where he'd be betrayed. So they go walking through the windy streets they come to the gate. They walk outside the city and they walk through the valley of Kidron. And they're walking up through the valley and to their left would have been the massive walls of the old city. Just inside the walls would have been the temple where all the preparations and all the activities for the Passover week were happening. Up ahead and to the right was the mount where they were going for Jesus to pray. During that time, they would have been walking probably for sure, next to and probably through some of the ancient vineyards that had been planted. They were a common sight in Palestine during that time. In fact, you needed the vineyards. They were a major agricultural crop. You can do a lot with grapes. You can eat them fresh, how good a fresh grape is. You can dry and they become raisins and you can make them in oatmeal cookies. Mmm, Yeah. Or you press them and they become wine and was part of the staple drink for the day. 
And so they would have been walking through this. The disciples were following Jesus. I imagine some were maybe far behind a little bit because they were talking, maybe whispering about what was going on. And some were just too stunned and they were just walking with Jesus. And I can just imagine as they're walking along and they're walking through these vineyards and all of a sudden Jesus stops and he pulls on a, a vine. And he looks at him and he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Stop there for a second. He's got their attention. You know he has their attention because when they see a vine and when they hear a vine and when they start to see a prophet or someone like Jesus, the son of God, talk about a vine, they know there's more than meets the eye here. In fact, if you go back to Psalm chapter 80, where the verse says this, you, this is God, transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root, and it filled the land. This is Israel. All through the Old Testament, you see evidences and and references to a vineyard or a vine as Israel. It goes on and says that its branches and its shoots went all the way to the sea and all the way to the river. Unfortunately, if you would read on in chapter 80 of Psalm, you would also see that the vineyard gets trampled, it gets torn up. It even says that strangers would come and eat the grapes that were on the vineyard, on the vine. And that was pretty common. In fact, if you read through the prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, other prophets, every time they talk about a vineyard, at least most of the cases, it ends up being a warning or bad news. In fact, you hear scriptures like this. God would say, I planted you. I cared for you. I took, you know, I did everything I needed to, and you've become wild. Wild grapes are small and they can be sour and, they're, and they're, they're just not that, oh, you know how a good grape tastes. And so that is all through the Testament. Even in the New Testament, when Jesus talked about a vineyard, he told a parable. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he tells this parable about a man who builds this wonderful vineyard and builds all the equipment to make the wine and does all of that. But then he has to go away on a long trip. And it says, so what he did in the meantime is he rented out the property to some folks. Well, if you're going to rent property, of course, when, it's, when the fruit comes and the harvest comes, comes payment time. And Jesus told the parable, he said, it's payment time. And so he sends his servants to collect payment. And the wicked folks who were renting from them kidnapped some, they beat some, and they killed some. It says he sent more. He says they killed those Finally, he says, the man sent his son, and they killed him. Jesus went on and talked a little bit more and told a little bit of explanation of what he had just said. And it says in there, and we, can, we know, there was nothing wrong with the owner. The owner provided a fine vineyard. There is nothing wrong with those who came before to collect, and, for the, and nothing wrong with the son. And in fact, there was nothing wrong with the vine, Israel, in that case. The Bible tells us that when Jesus told the story, the priests and the scribes, the Pharisees, 
got very angry because he knew they were t- he was talking about them. He said, it's your leaders that's causing the issue. It's your leaders that are rejecting me. Your leaders. And so even in the New Testament, when Jesus talked about vine, it usually came with a warning. And now he picks up this vine as he's walking through on his way to pray to be betrayed. And he says this, I am the true vine. Israel was a vine. But Israel has been replaced. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He has all their attention now. So let's read on. It goes like this. We're in John 15, 1 now. It says this, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to, the, to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This has always been one of my favorite passages and this really is a central teaching of Jesus' final discourse. He's leaving them with a challenge. I remember growing up in Damascus, we had about one acre property. And, and we had the, the longest part of the property butted up against another neighbor's property. And so in between, right there at the corner of the house, we had these two big lilac bushes. You know, lilac bushes get really, really tall, and they bloom, be beautiful in the spring. Next to that was a crab tree, crab apple tree. And all these neat little crab apples that, that would fall and... Every now and then we'd make crabapple jelly, I think, but most of the years they just fell and were a mess and you'd throw them at the neighbor kids and things like that, you know, do all those fun things. Then after that, we had this long, what to me is I remember it, really long grape harbor. And I left in the summer, you know, especially when it's getting dark and we played hide and seek and the leaves were out, it was a great to hide behind and, and that was a great hiding spot. And, and the neighbors had flowers on the other side. There was even places in between where you can duck down and get in. And I just always kind of had this fascination because every now and then, every some years, we get that good harvest of grapes. And it was like, oh man, just get out there before the birds or whatever else gets them, you know, and get out there and start getting those grapes. And, and so you, you understand what Jesus is talking about here when he, he's talking about this fruit. And, and, and is, Israel was certainly well aware of the, the importance of grapes and, and of the vineyards. So it was just a few years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, where a little book came across my desk. And it's been a book I've treasured because it's, it just kind of brings this all alive to me. It's just called The Secrets of the Vine by a man named Bruce Wilkinson. You might remember Bruce, he wrote a book a year or two before that called The Prayer of Jabez. Remember the Prayer of Jabez book? Well, he wrote a book after that called The Secret of the Vine. And uh, I'm going to share with you this morning a couple of thoughts that he shared and then a thoughts about a friend of mine who lived this. 
lived it every day. But the secrets of the vine, Bruce Wilkinson says this, the first secret is this. If your life consistently bears no fruit, God will intervene and discipline you. Here at Friends Church, this uh, person who bears no fruit, that God will intervene and discipline, we sometimes call this person a first chair sitter. If you go down the hall, you might see the chairs in the cafe that are set up. Now, not all first chair sitters bear no fruit, but chances are if you're bearing no fruit, we would say you're in the first chair sitters. Well, why do we have these chairs? These chairs are so I can evaluate where I am spiritually. And Jesus says, there are some people who bear no fruit. In fact, if you go to their basket, their basket's empty. Nothing in it. They go and people go to their branch and they say, okay, I'm going to this branch and John's branch. They go to John's branch and no prayer. They go to Mary's branch and Mary's branch is empty. A no fruit bearer. And Jesus says in here, if you're, if you're this basket, if this is you, The gardener will come with his clippers, snip you off. This happened in the Old Testament. In fact, in Ezekiel 15, 6, the prophet says this, like the wood of the vine given to the fuel for the fire, so I will give up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jesus says, when you turn from me, when you turn away from me, when you're bearing no fruit, the vine has to survive. And the way the vine survives is by cutting off the dead wood. And what's it good for except the fire? Maybe you're saying right now, yep, I don't know what I am. Maybe I need to know what fruit is. <laughs> what is Jesus talking about when he says you're bearing fruit? Well, I'd studied this this week, and then I happened to go to a conference this weekend on discipleship, and it, and it kind of hit me over and over and over and over again. And you want to know what fruit is. And fruit can really think of three words. They're not on the screen because I didn't have time to get them up there, so be thinking of this. The, first, the three words are first, character. Do you have the character of Christ? A person who bears fruit bears, demonstrates the character of Christ. Galatians chapter five says this, the fruit of the spirit. In fact, he lists nine fruits of the, fruit of the spirit, Paul does. And Peter does this in 2 Peter chapter one. He says, if you want to be fruitful, add to faith. And he adds seven things, a list of seven things. And in this list of nine, a list of seven, there's two that overlap. To love and to have self-control. Those are characters of Jesus, characteristics of Jesus. Do we take on the character of Jesus? What else is there? Well, there's, there's joy, there's peace, there's patience, there's kindness. There's faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, knowledge, perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness. How much of God's character are we taking in? Because some of fruit bearing is internal. Am I taking on the character of Christ? This person is not. There's no fruit there. Wow. I hope there's nobody with no fruit. Because <laughs> we also know what happens. God disciplines. God cuts off. 
How about this? There's internal, but then there's external. External. Outernal. There's the character of Christ, but there's the conduct of Christ. Do you conduct your way self in a way that Christ would? Do you do the way, things the way God would have you do it? Or maybe you've heard it this way, what would Jesus do? The internal character comes out in conduct. So do you have the character of Christ? Do you have the conduct of Christ? And then this, do you have the mission of Christ? To go and make disciples, to be a witness. Do you, do you take seriously his call to reproduce fruit in other people, other Christians? That's what fruit is. Fruit is more, more Christians. And so do we have the character of Christ? Do we have the conduct of Christ? And do we have the mission of Christ? And are we living that? And that's what he is saying. Do you have fruit? Well, this is the exploring Christ. But then there's a second secret of the vine. It says this. If your life bears some fruit, God will intervene to prune you. And here, at French Church, we might say this is a very, probably a lot of people fit. It's either in chairs two or chair three. We call those growing in Christ and close to Christ. We bear some fruit, but God is still working on us. There are still some things in our life that need pruned. Pruned does not sound fun, does it? I mean, it does when you're doing it to a branch. When you're doing it to yourself, no. Pruning can hurt. Pruning can be difficult. It actually means to cut off or to cleanse. And so we have a couple other baskets. He says there are some who bear some fruit. What are they, bunches of grapes? A bunch? You know, they, there's some fruit here. Not enough you can really see unless I hold it down here and tilt it. And, but there's some fruit. At least there's some fruit being produced. But then the Bible says that he who produces some fruit, God prunes so that they can produce more fruit. What does pruning look like? You know, well, think about things in your life that don't belong there. One might be sin. Sometimes there's a sin in our life, and God says, you know, you could bear a lot more fruit for me if we cut out that sin. Get rid of it. It's holding back. Sometimes it's just not exhibiting the character of Christ. And sometimes that pruning can come from other people. Maybe a close friend who says, you know that characteristic in your life really isn't glorifying God. It could come from your spouse. Yeah, if you're married. I know I don't like to hear it. <laughs> you probably don't either. But pruning can come from other folks. It can come from good friends. I remember a pruning job I got <laughs> a few years ago. We were at a world renewal annual board meeting. We had hired a woman. Her name's Donna. Donna was one of those people 
who was so dedicated to world renewal. She came in when we were in desperate need. We'd actually had someone working on our finances that unbeknown to us and their family was in early stage Alzheimer's. And, and hers came out in like a lot of people's do. The first thing, they can't really do numbers. And she was our missions bookkeeper. We went through the books at the end of the year and there was so much stuff that made no sense. And her, their, her family had not even found out yet. There were other problems. We, you know, we had shortage of staff and different things. And Donna came in and she was working wonderful. She was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and we weren't paying her that much. <laughs> she was doing all this work. And, and the night before the board meeting, and I'm chairman of the board, I was a little, getting a little anxious because I hadn't gotten my financial statements yet. So I wasn't in a good mood, you know. So I get the financial statements the night before. I look at them. I walk into the board meeting, and we start the board meeting, and I say, and when we get to the financial report, I said this, with Donna in the room, I said, well, folks, here's the, here's the I'm going to let us pass out the financial statements, but we're not going to vote on them because they're garbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the worst part about it is I didn't think anything of it because they were garbage. <laughs> Until the next meeting, it took the next meeting, when the treasurer of the uh, board, and uh, my cousin, a good friend, and uh, someone who knows they have the right to prune me, uh, passed out the financial statements, and I don't remember the exact words he said, but it was something about, uh, well, this year we won't have a, and I can't remember what he called my comments, but he said we won't have a repeat of this because we worked hard to get it right, and, but the way it was worded I knew I had just been pruned, you know? Yeah. And he had the right to do it. Dean has the right to speak into my life anytime he wants to speak into it. Sometimes it comes in other people. Sometimes our attitudes just aren't right. And people, someone has to just, sometimes God will send something into our life. And I don't, I, I don't want to sit up here and say this bad thing came into our life because God sent it there. But I wonder sometimes when we have financial problems, is that God sending into our life some correction because we've not been faithful with our finances? In relationships, is it because we have not spent time with God and prayer and, and, and nurturing our relationship with him and so things come into our lives and they prune us. They're discomfort, they're uncomfortable. They bring discomfort. And he's saying, you know why? I know you're bearing some fruit. But boy, how much better would it be if you went from some fruit to more fruit, more fruit? If you can start having an attitude that glorifies me and if you can, you can start acting in a way that people look at you and say, hey, that's how God would do it. That's how Jesus would do it. What kind of an impact would that have in your work, in your school and wherever you go when they see more fruit? But here's the good news and the secret Number three, secret of the vine, number three, if your life bears a lot of fruit, God will invite you to abide more deeply with him. That word abide, it's kind of precious. It doesn't translate in much this way in the New International Version, which we use. It says remain in him. But the King James Version and some of others, they use this, this word abide in me. 
remain close, beside, permanently attached to me. And God invites us to invite, who are, who are secrets of the third vine, if God, if you bear a lot of fruit, God invites you to abide more deeply with him. We would say that is a fourth chair sitter. This is a Christ-centered person. And you know the thing about the Christ-centered person, it says, if you remain in me, abide in me, remain in me, and my words remain in you, whatever you wish, and it be done. And for this, for this is my Father's glory, that you bear what? Much fruit. Oh, oops, I'm gonna hurt my back. <laughs> God's will is for us to bear much fruit. Much fruit. Boy, you look at that and you say, oh, that looks good. That looks good. God says, I want you to bear much fruit. Imagine if we had a country full, a city full of Christians who were out bearing much fruit. They demonstrate the character, the ways, or the conduct and the mission of Christ in everything they do. Everything I do, everything. This vine, the vine gives all of the resources, all the resources needed to grow those grapes. Abide in me. Because the only thing this vine can produce is grapes. When God and Jesus, is, we're abiding in him, we become little Jesuses. And we produce little Jesuses. His character, his conduct, his mission, we're working it out day after day after day after day. And finally, verses 9 through 11 says this, As my Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Again, I remain, abide. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And then look at this. I have told you this, all of this. Why am I telling you this? So that your joy may be complete or that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do you want to have joy? Do you want to be a joyous Christian? Abide in him, produce fruit. That is the life that God intended us to live. And, you know, I can say this, and I could talk about it, but in closing, I'd like to share with you about somebody who lived this kind of life, whose basket was absolutely overflowing, full. He was my buddy, Gene. Gene is up here on the screen. The verse there is Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Gene was the custodian at my home church, the church I was at for 50 years before coming here. Um, Gene was the, I guess, the prime example of a much fruit basket maker. <laughs> had a heart attack uh, last week ago Tuesday after shoveling snow at the church 76 years old doing his job and passed away Tuesday we were at the funeral 
pastor got up and was talking about Jane. This is after people talked and talked and talked. We had to cut off people from talking, sharing, because meal was coming after the service and we were hungry. So we had to do that. But uh, the pastor, John, and getting up and said, joy filled Gene's life. And he said there's four joys. And I think this is the four joys of a person whose basket's full. The first one is joy in teaching. Do you know, Gene would go, and when I was in high school, and, and the pastor there, Damascus, John, was in high school, and when Bruce Bell, a pastor at Friends Church in, in uh, Columbus, was in high school, and Clark Hoops, who was the chief, uh, the top uh, lay person in our denomination, clerk of the meeting, and others, so many people I could name were in high school. We all sat in Gene's Sunday school class. It was a boy's Sunday school class that we had to bring in extra chairs in high school because we all wanted to hear Gene. Gene had read through the Bible 38 times. He, was a, he loved the Lord, and he would get up, and this morning I'm preaching from a Bible that I've never preached from before, I don't think. This is precious to me. This is the King James. Yay for the King James people, right? This is the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. And if you were in Gene's class as a high school boy and you wanted to study the Bible seriously, you had to get your Thompson Chain Reference Bible. We studied this. And he, he poured his life into it and he poured his life into ours. When him and his wife and his brother-in-law and sister-in-law started leading our growth, our youth group, the youth group went from like 15 to 100 in 1970 71. Just poured their lives into young people. He loved teaching, and Gene was the teacher. But he also had joy in serving. You know, this picture here, he, he's, he, he doesn't have to be do anything with the, the pantry, food pantry, but he would, for five hours or so on every Thursday when people were coming to the food pantry, he would camp out and he would take every, and take every load out to the cars and put them in their cars. And he always ended with the same thing. After he invited people to church, said, hope to see you Sunday, it was always, hurry back. Hurry back. Hurry back. That was Gene. Serving. The uh, probably pinnacle of serving for me and realizing this is the church has been through in the last seven, eight years, two major building programs, big building programs, big new sanctuary and Christian Ed Wing and, and then another Christian Ed and offices and youth wing. And uh, during that time, Gene would take it upon himself to serve the construction workers. Not just make coffee for them in the morning, but deliver it to where they're at. He would... Uh, have his, he'd have his thing of candy bars and all that, and he'd walk around the middle of the day, and here's candy bar, here's candy bar, here's candy bar, and all that. He would once a week rally the church and that they would come around and they would have a bring-in meal for the construction workers every Friday. Every Friday they knew they were going to be served and eat, eat at the tables at the church. During the funeral, Pastor John said last Sunday he went and he named, not just numbers, he named the names of the men and the families who were in church that Sunday because they had been on a construction crew. Unchurched, seven families, seven men were in church that Sunday because of Gene's serving them. I never met Gene. I never saw Gene look at anybody who had any kind of quizzical look on their face except for saying, what can I get you? What can I get you? What do you need? What do you need? What can I get you? Gene had joy in serving. He also had joy in working. 
You've heard, it, you've heard it said you can eat off those floors. I'm a germaphobe, a bit. And I would have eaten off his bathroom floors in that church. No, no problem. I knew they were as clean as could be. He had a, a joy in working. He'd be whistling or singing as he's rocking around the church. Every Sunday morning for probably 20 years, I, it was a race between him and me to get in the building first because I was there to set up the worship and get the room right and everything, and, and he'd get in the open. And so it'd either be me or Gene, and we'd have that time together. And it's the first time, every time, the first time I see him, it's top of the morning to you, Steve-O. <laughs> so, good morning, Gene. Ah, oh, I miss him, I miss him. Finally, he had joy in witnessing. He did not not, he did not want anybody to go into eternity without Jesus Christ. All of us boys that grew up at least the ones I guess maybe he saw some potential in. He took us out on the streets and in the car to homes. And I remember traveling with Gene on Wednesday night. The adults would go to, to a prayer meeting. He'd say, Steve, let's go to homes. Let's go calling on people. I said, who are we going to go? He said, well, I don't know. There's this house up the corner. Some folks that live there. I, I think we ought to meet them. Back then, you could do that. <laughs> we'd go in and we'd share Jesus and invite him to church and Get to know him. Wow. The uh, post office, old post office in Damascus got a new postmaster. Lady moved in. He goes, he goes down every day. Every day, go down to get his mail. He say, go to church? No, got to come to church. You're going to love it. Love our church. She's teaching at Damascus now on Sunday mornings. The new teller came to the bank in town. She had no chance. <laughs> Every time Jean would go, you know, folks like me go through the drive-through to get through quick, you know, or, or the ATMs. No, no, no. Jean goes in so we can talk to the lady. Say, you go to church? Got to come to church. Get him to know Jesus. Jamie spoke at the funeral. Jamie was one of those workers. He was a, uh, he worked on the survey crew. First time he came, he's walking out there and Gene says, you need a payday? He goes, huh? He goes, payday. He gave him his payday and candy bar. He ate it. He says, everybody knows that story because there's more that goes to it and it's a big story at the church there. But he says, here's a story that you guys probably don't know and Gene probably wouldn't want me telling you. He said, I, uh, the next time I came, it was one of those muddy, snowy days. And I had boots on, and I was tramping, trapping through the mud and the crud and all that kind of stuff. And he said, I ran into that problem that we come into in job sites. Where's your bathroom? <laughs> he goes, Gene, where's your bathroom? He goes, well, if you go in this door here, go down that hall and over there, and there, there's your bathroom. He looked at his boots. <laughs> he says, ah, okay. Gene says, Jamie, we can wash the floors. That was Gene. This year, Jamie became an elder at the church. He said, Gene took me when I was as muddy and as disgusting as my boots were. That's a man who lives a full life, whose fruit basket is overflowing. And I don't know what we're going to do without him on this earth. God's got him now. God's calling for us to come and to step in Gene's shoes, to 
fill your basket. It says this in 16 and 17, John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Eternity, eternal impact. And so that whatever you do in my name, the Father will give you. I close with this. Question, which basket is you this morning? You're saying, I don't bear any fruit. Oh, I get right with God. You can come up here and do that. We'll pray with you. But you're, maybe a lot of you are here. I, you know, I have, I've bared some fruit. I bear some fruit. I, I'm getting a little better, but I just, I need maybe a little more pruning. Mm, yeah. Invite God to do that. Maybe this morning you're in this basket. If you are, wonderful. Keep up the good work. Abide in him. Yeah. Which basket are you? Let me ask you this, though. If you're not in this basket, has God spoken to you today about what you need to do? Maybe some pruning, what needs to be done? And one final question. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Let's stand. Father, as we dismiss today, I pray that you would help us to take a hard look at our lives. And Lord, at the fruit we are bearing, Lord, I'm guessing most of us feel like we're not in that fourth basket. We could do more. We could abide better. We could, we could our, 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 our character could be molded more like you. Our conduct could be more in tune with you. Lord, we can, we can be witnessing better. We can, we can take the mantle of your mission much more seriously. So Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct us. Lord, help us to be serious about what you've called us to do. Help us, Lord, this was so important. You spoke about this to your, your men hours before your death. How important it is it for us today? Lord, help us this week to be fruit bearers. Help us to increase our yield, to do more for you, to live for you in new, greater ways to reflect the character of Christ and to give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Two quick things. This. Jesus said, I will prune and throw away and burn. And I will prune those who bear some fruit. But you abide. He will do those others, but it's up to us to abide. So abide in him this week. When you go, abide in him. Be with him. Get close to him. Do that for me. And then the second thing, if you're leaving today, maybe you're staying for the next meeting, the congregational meeting, you say, you know, those grapes really look good. There's even some more under the table. You can come get them. <laughs> uh, I, would, I, would, I would suggest you wash them. I haven't been washed, but I don't want grapes to sit around. So if you love grapes, feel free to come and take some this morning And because uh, we need this table for the next meeting. You're dismissed. Go in the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs>